thank you for having me back again, Julia. We do it together, so I've got no choice. Well, you know, you could throw me off and not let me back. I've got to talk to somebody. But yeah. today we have an amazing guest who is the fabulous Susan Duncan, otherwise known as Suze, who is a powerhouse of the vocational training movement. Hello, Suze. Hello. Thank you. That was a very kind introduction. <laughs> I've never been called a powerhouse before. <laughs> but you absolutely are. And you're so connected in that world and so passionate about doing the right thing. Well, yeah, powerhouse is definitely what I'd call you. Well. I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. I might Good. even put it in my skills profile. Yeah. Powerhouse. Apprenticeship <laughs> powerhouse. Apprenticeship powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. So, in your opinion, what is rocking about the apprenticeship world at the moment? I think it's really interesting because obviously in a pandemic world of ugh, for everything and everybody, the apprenticeship market has been, you know, obviously had a very very difficult time of it alongside pretty much every other industry um and couple that with the um market transformation that took place in 2017 and the introduction of standards around that time and we know all the frameworks have gone now um there is this like I hate to say it, but a calamity may be approaching. Um, around... You've been saying that for the last decade. I know, no, actually, for me, two decades. Isn't it? <laughs> Every time there's a reform, I go, oh, no. I know, <laughs> you really do. So let's put our cheery hat on. Um, what are the business opportunities available to the apprenticeship training provider and college at the moment? Well, I think that the market is 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 really transforming in very exciting ways so yes there is a bit of doom and gloom because we are in pandemic hopefully nearly post-pandemic world but at the same time some of the standards that are out there particularly at the higher levels at the fours and fives and sixes that actually can demonstrably impact on the productivity of business are really really exciting there's, There's some really cool stuff. Really cool stuff out there at the moment. The stuff that really, really excites me is stuff all around the digital transformation landscape. So we know that businesses have had to change how they operate because of the pandemic. We know that a lot of businesses are looking at what that means long term. So we know, you know, pre-pandemic, 10, 20 years from now, we would have expected to see much more integrated between home working and office working, but businesses kept not having to invest in that because yep. it wasn't a matter of urgency. And now they've had to, and a lot of businesses are really, really looking at how to change how they do things. And these digital transformation apprenticeship standards are just genius. So, I mean, particularly if you look at some of the places where there's some of the skills gaps, so you look at cybersecurity or encoding, the skills gaps in the marketplace are enormous because businesses are now much more reliant on technology than they were even five years ago. Yep. Um, and the opportunities for businesses to take and maybe upskill current staff that they can put into something else because their business needs have changed or bring in new people onto apprenticeships to meet their skills needs by delivering standards that they can actually scope to match their business. It's genius. Yes. What's really depressing, though, is the number of businesses who don't think like that. So the number of businesses that still want oven-ready chickens in every job at every level. 
That's really depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Vicky, what's the mindset angle behind why businesses don't invest in their staff? Um, I think it's twofold. So I was actually just talking to a student that I mentor who's looking at apprenticeship. She's in uh, year 12 at the moment before this call. And we were discussing the fact that 25, 26 years ago, when I was going to university, they just shut the technical colleges down. There were no apprenticeships. Vocational training was not the thing to do. And it was all about you get a degree, you get a degree, you get a degree. Now, 25 years on, we're now the people running the businesses and you saw that decline in vocational skills and we've not experienced that so because we saw a decline in that kind of in our mind it doesn't have the same value as a degree and it's adjusting the mindset of the sort of you know the 40s and 50s people who were the value was taken away from the vocational training and the apprenticeships whereas now it's a completely different kettle of fish. So it's being open-minded to changing the views that you have about vocational training um, to embrace what's going on now and learning how it's different, which is one of the big things. People don't, they're not always very good at mindset change. Um, And I think the other one around investing in staff is there seems to be this thing around, well, if I invest in them, they might leave. Well, if you don't invest in them, what happens if they stay? Um, and actually the only asset that doesn't depreciate in your business is your people. They are the only asset that actually appreciates as in they will expect promotion and progression and pay rises. So they are going to become more valuable to you rather than less valuable to or you. Or more so expensive, darling. Take, well, there is that, but you would hope that you're only promoting them because they're going to give the value where they become more expensive. So you kind of need to invest in them to be getting the right people you yes um what's really interesting you know having lived in the apprenticeship world for 25 years i suppose the mistake they made all those years ago Suze, when they brought modern apprenticeships back in and that was cheesy language wasn't it is modern apprenticeships were at level two and level three yeah. it was very much for the low skill no skill um, do the world a favor, take on this spotty 16-year-old, um, pay them a pittance because the apprenticeship minimum wage is still a pittance. Um, and you still have that methodology. You know, none of that's gone away, really, except the average age is now, what, 42 for a new starter. Um, the really great thing about the changes that have come in, in the last three or four years is this huge increase at the top levels because now you've got business owners going oh maybe i'll get me one of those whereas before apprenticeships were always for somebody else which contributed to that feeling of them being less than and now they're not they're a genuine alternative yeah i think it's really interesting if you go back 25 years ago and i'm not going to say how long i've been in this industry but But we were both there (laughs) I was on the steering group at the, uh, at the tech around reintroducing apprenticeships um, some time ago now. Um, so, um, but what's really interesting is even going back then, and obviously I was somewhat younger than I am now, even though everybody was talking about how this was a really good vehicle to get young people who maybe weren't academically successful into um, a route way into work, into, in terms of vacations, 
Um, nobody on that steering group wanted their children to do an apprenticeship, right? It wasn't, it was, it was always for other people. It wasn't for the people who were designing. <laughs> no, it was always for the poor, thick kids. Yeah. And it's a completely different landscape now, hmm. but a lot of industry hasn't yet caught up with that fact. So, and it's, but it's getting there. But if you look at young people now who are actively engaging with graduate apprenticeships um, at level six, um, where they're earning, and they're going to uni in blocks or, or whatever that looks like to get their academic learning alongside their technical work in the workplace. And the great thing is, it's around all around the knowledge, skills and behaviours aspect as well. So you're growing, not just uh, understanding of a technical thing or whatever that happens to be, but also about what it looks like to be a good and productive employee within that particular employer landscape. But isn't it such a shame that in increasing the perceived value and benefit of apprenticeships, the government's conception was to wed those same apprenticeships so that the vast majority of the higher level ones have to be at least part delivered by a university. So you are entrenching the very issue yeah. that you created in the first place that university is the only place to go and the only question is which pot of money is paying for it and what's the branding we're putting on it but yeah. university is the only place to learn and if you don't go to university well it's just a bit shit in it and yeah. that's horrid yes it is horrid and it also precludes an awful lot of good um very very good excellent um independent training providers who did have delivered successfully at level five yep. for years, um, being, un, being unable to offer really effective routeways for the apprenticeships they engage with. And you know, Julia, one of the glories of the world is when you see somebody that starts at a level two, and by the time you've worked with them over years, they're doing a level five, double management and childcare, whatever that happens to be. And it's and glorious. It's glory. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And then that way has to stop at the moment in terms of ITPs, unless you're fortunate enough to be able to get some sort of partnership with the university. But even then, the university is just giving you the dregs that they don't want to deal with. All that behaviour nonsense. Um, you don't get to see my facial expression on a podcast, but it wasn't pretty. Um, yeah, you get the dregs that the university doesn't deal with. So the university continues to deal to deliver the same stuff in the same way that they always have done. There's been very little innovation in that space, I think. And the training provider is picking up all the apprenticeship stuff without that real acknowledgement that it's that apprenticeship stuff that makes it fabulous as a learning yeah. experience because apprenticeships answer a different question, which is, can you do the job? And universities don't care about that question. But when it's about work-based learning and learning for work, about work, to be better at work, that's the only question that I'm interested in. Yeah. But to be fair to universities, I do think that there is – I think that actually the whole model of apprenticeships coming into the university landscape, I think the whole idea of post-pandemic planning in terms of the wider community and business – universities are starting to really think about 
what does employability look like? What do professional skills look like? Because to compete for young people, because young people are getting pickier and pickier about these different choices, yeah. they've got to be able to demonstrate that not only can they get a degree, but there is value attached to what they're learning and how they're being developed inside universities in the employment marketplace later on. I think so we, young people, yeah. You know, everything has its place. But it's those young people who've already made it into work are getting fussier. The people who are being shoveled straight from A-levels, and Vicky would probably agree with me, you get shoveled straight from A-levels into university, the vast majority of young people, they're clueless. They've got no, particularly at the moment when they haven't been able to go to open days. Um, you know, our son applied for five universities, got offered from four and was, you know, making a choice and had never been to visit any of them. Has no idea. Brilliant. <laughs> Gotta love COVID. Vicky, has your, have your mentees been having the same issues? Um, well, what's been really interesting um, is that of the three mentees, um, and obviously Jonathan, who I've worked with as well, um, I've had a 50-50 split. So I've got two at university, two apprenticeships. Um, so that's been quite interesting. From the college that I've worked at, where the three come from of that age group, uh, two apprenticeships to one university. And it was very much subject driven. So the young lady who's gone to university, she's gone to do psychology. That's what she very much wanted to do. Can't do an apprenticeship in that. Can't do an apprenticeship in that. Um, was very worried about the financial investment, but went for it. Um, the other two young people are much more in the digital marketing PR kind of area. So for them, it's a no brainer because the apprenticeships are so They're fantastic. Really um, and they're not going to accumulate the debt that's going on. And it's very, you know, they, they, they come from, you know, a variety of backgrounds, but there's, there's not this stigma anymore attached to going to do an apprenticeship that you were talking about. It's, it's very much more acceptable. And it's, it's very like a much really good plan now or school or sixth form. And it's rather than it's like, well, you lot can go to university and we're not sure what to do over here, but you might think about an apprenticeship. It's right, everybody, which route are you going to take? And it's a much more, and universities are, they're going to have to compete for that because at the end of the day, most people, I mean, certainly if it was me these days, I'd be going for an apprenticeship because there's no debt, there's the work experience. It's just a much more doable and more logical is, route, I feel. Yes and no. What people don't appreciate is the sheer level of hard work mm -hmm. involved in working full time. Um, yes, you have your 20% off the job training within those work hours, but that's still very much studying to be better at your job rather than necessarily that's when you're doing your coursework. Mm -hmm. um, so you're working full time and then you're doing this degree level course in some cases on top of that. It's really tough. You're talking about giving up a lot of your social life in order to keep up with the work um, at a time when you most want to socialise. And people, I think, don't appreciate that. And, yeah, and but you're right about it being subject-based. With Jonathan, 
the only way he could study what he wanted to study was to go to one particular university in the you know in the end he might have applied for five but it was one um he'd better not stuff up his a levels is all i say <laughs> otherwise he will be doing some random apprenticeship in something or other um yeah the the choices are quite stark aren't they Suze? yeah i've got a young lady that i mentor um who she she left school um and did a level three digital marketing apprenticeship and she's now a year into her level six degree apprenticeship in some i'm not even going to pretend to understand what it is because it's far too difficult for me um but it's to do with it and i think it's networking or it solutions it's something around that and level six well done um, i i love it when an apprenticeship expert can't keep up well you know but the, you know you know she, she tells me all about it all the time i'm like okay great how's it going this is the plan stick out stick out stick out but yeah, you, you can cool. mentor somebody without actually being really in with it. Yes, and it's, and that was like the, tech, the technical terminology. But it is hard. I mean, she, you know, she's a very, very bright, astute young lady who has a plan, right? She's got a really good career pathway plan. That, but at the same time, she's young. And Netflix and whatever young people do, because I'm not young anymore. So all of the stuff that, you know, a 20-year-old wants to do, but you're also working full-time, and you're having to do uni, you're having to do uni coursework, and you're having to do this, and you're having to do that, and it's, 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 it's a, it's a I, I, for her personally, I think that was a better choice than her going to university for various reasons, but it's a hard job. Yeah. Maybe you should have, yeah. her, maybe you should have her on the podcast, Julia. I think we should, yes. I, we always love interviewing interesting and engaging people. For training providers, because training providers are where it's at, they're cool, aren't they? They're the coolest thing in the space. Yeah. How innovative are they really being at the moment, in your opinion? I think that the idea of innovation is much more talked about than the actual innovation that could possibly take place. Um, but and I think that's the same in, in a lot of industries. I don't think yeah. it's just IT we all talk a really, really good game, particularly with other ITPs, right? We're the best, and, you know, oh, we do this and we do that. Everybody does it. It's, it's part of, you know, promoting your business, promoting your brand and about who you are. But that actual, where you're looking at co-designing co and co-delivery of really funky stuff, that's not really happening. And when I say co-design, we're not, we, we don't do enough talking to employers no. about what they really want. We don't do enough talking to, uh, to learners about what they think would be interesting in how we deliver what we're doing. And I know that standards are much more employer-led than the old frameworks were, so that, you know... They're not that of, much more. It, well, in theory, standards are a lot more, more employer-led than, than, than the frameworks ever were, and, and it's not a learner-led funding thing, really, anymore, in no. the way it used to be. So, um, but that whole... Everything should be about bringing the the, the co-designers or the co-partners into the curriculum design and delivery. And I don't think that happens nearly enough. And that's when the really funky stuff takes place. That's how you get really good retention rates and really good achievement rates. You're having those conversations with your learners about what do they want this design and delivery actually to look like to be meaningful for them in their journey in terms of learning these, these new skills and 
for the employers in terms of what do you need from it in terms of productivity and realization of profit because actually no employer is going to do anything unless it's going to actually help the bottom line okay so to make that happen and that's a really good business demon um that would require people who really understand business and who really care about business to be involved at the front end of the kind yeah. of sales process um in order to be able to tease out what those wider objectives are because at the moment it's just about flogging bums on seats Absolutely. It requires cohorts of learner from the same employer, I think, to really do well. Um, I remember some of the stuff I've done where we've had cohorts of people from the same employer and you can do some really, really cool stuff yeah. Absolutely. Um, where it's almost training and consultancy combined. You can achieve some really fabulous outcomes for the business. Um, and they're the kind of projects I love to get involved in. Doing that when you've got one learner from one employer in a mixed group with 15 other learners from 15 other employers, that's really tough because actually you've got to look at the needs of the group. So it's also important that providers don't offer things they can't deliver. It's that setting that expectation. We can do really cool and funky stuff if we've got a group of you, but for one, you're going to get vanilla because you, you know, 15 different shades of vanilla is still vanilla. Yeah, but I'm not sure, you know, because I do think as well, you know, with this new, the way the standards are moving and the way we're looking at business coaches rather than assessors or tutors in a lot of senses. But they're still the same people. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of the knowledge acquisition, yes, you're going to have. This is the methodology, and um, you know this is yeah, but the, yeah, but going back to these business but, coaches, in an awful lot of cases, all people have done is renamed the same staff, and it's still very similar job description, and everybody's still very much finding their feet. And that's but that therein therein lies the point. Right, because we want to do innovation, we think we're doing innovation, but we're looking at a skill set that was really appropriate ten years, years ago, ago, adapting to a whole new marketplace. And it's very difficult without action, proper investment in training and development, and maybe having some honest conversations about what skill sets look like inside a business organization based on the new markets that innovation can't take place unless that happens so you're right job coaches today are the assessors from yesterday in a lot of places and they that but and so vanilla will occur you're right yes so because we we've or, no you i don't think you are over optimistic i think there are restrictions um in terms of what can be delivered and it does depend on the delivery model but you look at some providers and they're not focused nearly enough on teaching and learning. Yeah. Um, so you look at places and, you know, Ofsted dropped off the inspection framework grading for teaching. So now the providers have stopped grading teaching, which means how many providers are really describing what excellence in teaching looks like? 
And if you don't describe it, you don't aspire to it. And it's such a qualitative judgment. Um, and we used to have quality standards for teaching. We described what excellence looked like. We also described what bloody awful looked like as well. And Absolutely. we're not afraid to be assessing staff against those standards and going, that's not good enough. Absolutely. That's what we're aspiring to. And you look at a lot of providers and they're just not doing that. But I think, but again, Julie, that goes back to the change in the market. So in, in, in the old days of yore, I mean, actually having study days or days away from work where you were in a classroom being taught was a model for 16 to 18 year olds in college. But it wasn't a model that many training providers used. It wasn't part of wasn't part of of what was expected necessarily of training providers so it was that work-based assessment model for an yes lot of cases. but we've moved into this thing of oh we have job coaches learning coaches learning still needs to happen and for absolutely. learning to happen well we need excellence in delivery absolutely and if we cannot describe excellence in delivery then we cannot train our staff motivate our staff performance manage our staff to deliver that excellence absolutely the excellence by and large still looks the same you know what makes a cool online learning session is what used to make a good face-to-face -face learning session it needs to be interesting engaging the learners need to be talking um you need to create that great atmosphere rapport and you need to add value the technology makes no difference whether you've got them for half an hour or an hour or six hours, it makes no difference. Excellence in learning is still excellence in learning. So, yeah, in innovating in one place, I think we've moved away from that cornerstone of, yeah, what makes stuff cool. So maybe to go yeah. forward, we also need to go backwards. No, yeah, I absolutely, 100% agree with that. And I do think as well as there's a, there's, a, there's a wider conversation to be had around um, the robustness of the conversations that are happening in the industry right now. So yes. It, it, and it's all part of that. And it is, I mean, and, and you know, ob obviously the pandemic has impacted on everybody. Of course it has. Yes. And, and you can't expect genius and innovation and, um, you know, pom-poms and all the rest of it at times when people are just worrying about keeping the walls from the door. And, and, yes. and it's a big ask. You know, talking about that front end and and, and, and and how do you, so in my opinion, providers do not invest enough money in the front end. That front engine that actually is the beating heart of the business. Making sure you've got the right rainbow, learners. They go out of the rainbow of a sales team that is effective in bringing in starts without actually doing enough analysis of what do those starts look like and are they the right start for the right standard at the right time and being really quite rigorous in how they apply those standards well, that it's a really difficult thing to implement oh if right, <laughs> yeah if you have been there done that you know but if yeah you have, that, if you have the right staff that aren't necessarily the sales team um that traditionally we would associate with a training provider that can have those robust discussions with business and and lead to 
maybe not as many starts, but starts that really are going to stick. Stick. Yes. Then, um, then you've got time for innovation. Because yes. you've got some really cool people you can work with, and you, you don't have to do vanilla. Yeah. So, in conquering the business demon of training providers, we're saying get your learner recruitment right. Yes. really 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 right and everything else is an awful lot easier absolutely and everything else still needs a lot of work but it's much much easier if you get the front engine right okay well we are sadly out of time poor vicky hasn't been able to get a word in edgeways <laughs> between Hello, us and and probably has kind of gone well that got really quite freakily technical <laughs> um You've been a superstar. Thank you so much, Sis. Vicky, your contribution was amazing. I'm going to set you up in terms of like trying to get some business there at the end. You know, <laughs> we've got to get those people in. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to stop recording. Thank you very much, both of you.